Good morning, church. If you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to grab that as you take a seat here and go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24 as we continue our teaching series on the spiritual practices for a follower of Jesus. Before we jump into our text and our subject this morning, I want to make you aware of something that's happening right now um, here within our Calvary family, and that is something happening with our fourth and fifth graders. This weekend, we hosted an event called Camp 54, a two-night camp up in Forest Home, Ojai, where our fourth and fifth graders went to experience everything that God had for them at camp. You'll see some of the photos scrolling through here, uh, and I hope you're encouraged to see these, uh, these young students here at camp um, being introduced to the idea of going away to camp, having fun, making new friends, but most importantly, hearing about the good news of Jesus and understanding God's great love for them. The theme this weekend or the teaching this weekend was all about being created in the image of God. And I think you'll agree with me when I say that if everything being thrown at young people these days, with all of the messages they're receiving, what could be more important than young people, fourth and fifth graders, understanding that they were created in the image of a God who loves them with meaning and purpose and value and direction for their life? So I want to stop and pray right now as they wrap up. They're doing their final chapel experience this morning as we speak right now, uh, and then they will be heading home today. But let's stop and pray for our fourth and fifth graders as they are at Camp 54 this weekend. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for these fourth and fifth graders who are there. Thanks for the leaders who are pouring into them. Thanks for the message that they are hearing. I pray for spiritual breakthrough for these fourth and fifth graders, that they would know your love and that that would move them forward in their faith. And I pray, God, that above all, they would know this foundation that they are created in your image. We pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, one of the things I prayed for for these fourth and fifth graders that I pray for really everyone who goes off to camp, whether it be middle schoolers or high schoolers or anyone else, is that they would experience a sense of spiritual breakthrough. I think all of us know what that's like, or maybe many of us do, where, where you experience you've been stuck in a sin or in a pattern or doubt or unbelief, and then camp allows you to break through that wall. This morning, what I hope for all of us, in addition to those fourth and fifth graders, is that we would know the path toward a spiritual breakthrough in our own lives. And I want to recommend to you this morning, as we think about the subject at hand and the text we have today, this simple thought that spiritual breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough often comes through listening. This morning, we're going to talk about what it means to listen to other people as they speak to us, what it means to listen to God. And if you're stuck in a pattern of sin or unbelief or doubt or just feeling flat in your faith, my hope is that this morning would lead you towards spiritual breakthrough as you learn the spiritual practice of listening. We'll look to Luke 24, and we'll start in verse 13 here with this very familiar story for some of you, the story of the road to Emmaus. Jesus has been crucified, laid in the tomb, and then three days later rose from the dead. And there's two of Jesus' followers who are discussing these events. It says in verse 13, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened so here's the setup to the story again. Jesus is crucified, laid in the grave, raised from the dead, and they're starting to hear rumors of it, but they're not sure. They go on a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to a town, a place called Emmaus. These two individuals are walking down the road, and what does it say they're doing? It says they're talking with each other about everything that had happened. They're doing this very ancient human thing that we all do. You do it, and I do it. Something big happens, and they're talking about it. They're discussing it. They're thinking about it out loud. 
And I want us to know that this very simple statement here, that they're talking about everything that had happened, is a description of almost every conversation you ever have. You're going to get together with people after church today for lunch or a barbecue this afternoon, or you'll hang out with colleagues at work tomorrow or at school or wherever you go. And what you'll run into is a group of people talking about everything that happened. You'll be talking about the game yesterday. You'll be talking about what's happening in politics. You'll be talking about what's happening in your family. This impulse as human beings to discuss the happenings all around us, to have this back and forth dialogue about what's going on is ancient and it is universal. And here's what I want to recommend to you this morning. That when you think about those conversations you'll have this afternoon with family, with friends, with colleagues this week, the great temptation is to kind of split our world into two things. To split our world into spiritual conversations and secular conversations. To say that spiritually we talk about Bible and church and doctrine and theology and worship, but then there's secular conversations about news and politics and all the goings on of this world. And here's what I want us all to realize. That what God wants from your life is not just the spiritual religious part of your life. He wants all of it. He wants all of your life. So that in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, there's not this bifurcation between the spiritual part of your life and the secular part of your life, but every single part of your life is part of what it means for you to follow after Jesus. Why does this matter this morning? Because I want us to understand that every single time you talk to another human being, every single time you talk to another image bearer, whether it be your spouse, your children, your friends, or your colleagues, it is an opportunity for you to grow more into the image and the likeness of the Son. Every single time you speak, and more importantly, listen to other people, it is an opportunity for you to become more like Jesus. So here's what we want to look at this morning. This truth that listening, that listening is a spiritual practice we must develop if we want to live and love like Jesus. My contention is that listening to God, yes, but even listening to each other, Listening to the conversations and listening well to each other as we speak is a spiritual practice. It's not some secular self-improvement thing, but a spiritual practice that we must develop. Now, why do I say we have to develop this? I say we have to develop this because I want us to understand that most of us aren't as good at listening as we think we are. We are not as good at listening to people as we think we are. And we all struggle to assess and evaluate this. And here's the reason. You'll find this real simple. Um, the only person I've never had to hear listen to, like the only person I've never had to listen to is me, right? Like I don't know what it's like to be on the other side of me. I've never had coffee with me, okay? I don't know what it's like to listen to me or hear, like, like, like to speak to me. And so what happens for all of us is we make this assumption that we are good at listening to people for the very simple reason that we hear people talk all day, Right? People are constantly talking to us. We're hearing their voice. We're, we're hearing what they have to say. But it is not the same thing to say, I heard what you said, versus I listened to what you were trying to say. See, I think all of us need to understand how much we over-index and overestimate how good we are at actually listening to other people because we've never been on the other side of us. In modern psychology, they have a phrase for this, and that phrase is illusory superiority. Illusory superiority, I'll define it to you this way. It's a, a condition of cognitive bias where a person overestimates their own qualities and abilities in relationship to the same qualities and abilities in other people. Here's the classic research. The classic research is that 80% of drivers think they are in the top half of drivers. 25% of male drivers 
think they are in the top 10% of drivers. Most of us over-index, overestimate how good we actually are at driving. We think we're the best and everyone else needs to get in line. We do this with social skills. We do this with humor. We do this with so many different things in our life, whether it comes to intelligence or finances or anything we do. We think we have it figured out more than other people. And here's what I'll submit to you this morning. I think you and I overestimate how well we listen to people. We think we listen very well to our spouse or our kids or our colleagues, our direct reports or the people we work for. But as a follower of Jesus, if it's true that this is a spiritual practice, here's where I think we have to start. The disciple of Jesus starts with the assumption that they are not great at listening and works from there. We start with the assumption that I am probably not as good at listening to other people as I think I am. And then I work forward from there. And we start with that assumption because we understand that listening, just like other spiritual practices, takes time to develop. We don't just naturally do it. We don't naturally get good at prayer or at Bible reading or at Sabbath or at fasting. It's a skill. It is a practice we have to develop in our lives. And if you're sitting here going, you know what, Brian, you are so wrong. I am a great listener. I don't know what you're talking about. I would submit that you are not listening at this time. <laughs> Listen, all of us need to start with this assumption that I might not be as good at listening to other people as I have always assumed I am. Why? Because listening, listening is a spiritual practice. It is one we develop. Yes, listening to God, but also the importance of listening to other people as they open their mouth and speak and hearing what they actually have to say. Like I assume for some of you, as I talk about listening, it's easy for you to see listening to God as a spiritual practice. That makes sense to you. But the idea that listening to other human beings would somehow be a spiritual practice is hard for you to get your mind around. And I want to show that to you today in the text, but I want to also open your mind to that possibility through showing you an example of two fictitious people. They don't exist, although I suspect some of you might actually know these people. Let me introduce you to two fictitious people. The first one is Quick to Speak Sally. Some of you know Quick to Speak Sally. Some of you are related to Quick to Speak Sally. She assumes she's right about everything. There's nothing she's wrong about, and she assumes she's got it all locked down. She assumes people just need to know what she knows. If they knew what I know, they would agree with me on everything. She assumes she has nothing to learn from you. Because what could you possibly teach her? And because of all of that, she controls the conversation through talking. This is the individual in your life who is constantly talking, never listening, always has something to say, and is never hearing what you have to say. All of us know a quick-to-speak Sally. But then let me introduce you to a second person. Quick-to-listen Lisa. She assumes she might be wrong about some things. I mean, that's a wild thought. Maybe you're wrong about some things. She assumes people have unique perspectives. So they come from a unique culture or background or church or family. And so they probably see the world in a different way. And it's worth me listening to that. She assumes she has something to learn from you. That you might actually know something she doesn't. And because of that, she lets go of the control of the conversation and actually listens. Now, here's a non-trick question. Very easy question for all of us to think about. Which one of these ladies looks more like Jesus? You know the answer. This is an easy answer. It's obviously quick to listen, Lisa. Obviously, this individual looks more like Jesus than quick to speak Sally. And isn't it amazing that you know she looks more like Jesus, even though nothing in this column says anything about church or Bible or morality or worldview? Isn't it amazing that you can just see someone who listens well and doesn't need to speak all the time and immediately you sense that they're more like Jesus? 
See, this is the invitation for us this morning, to understand that these are two paths we can take in life. One will form us more into the image of the Son, and one will take us away from that image. We know this. We know this because this famous verse in the book of James that none of us really like when we think about it. Chapter 1, verse 19 says, everyone, all of us, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So this morning, I invite you to look at Jesus, to look at our Lord Jesus, and think about what it might mean for you to become more like him as you're quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It goes on this way in verse 15. It says, as they talked, these two walking down this road to Emmaus, and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked among them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus, the resurrected son of God, comes in among them, and for whatever reason, he has the ability to conceal his identity, who he is. In verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Verse 19, what things, he asked. I, I love what Jesus is doing here because Jesus knows exactly what they're talking about. And Jesus knows exactly the thing that is going on. Jesus has inside information. Jesus could easily say, yeah, I'm Jesus. I went into the tomb. I came out of the tomb. There's so much he could say right here. But what does he do twice in the paragraph that I just read? You'll notice this all throughout Jesus's ministry. Two times in the paragraph I just read in verse 17 and verse 19, he asks a question. In verse 17, what are you discussing together? In verse 19, what things he asks? What things? In other words, the thing you'll notice, the pattern of Jesus, is that he is constantly asking questions when he could just as easily make a statement or a declaration. Jesus was obsessed with questions. He asks questions, and that was one of the way Jesus models for us what it means to listen well. I'll put it with this way. The disciple of Jesus learns to listen to people through asking questions. This is what a follower, an imitator, a disciple of Jesus does. They learn to listen well to people by asking questions. Because here's what's true about Jesus' conversations, and here's what's true about your conversations and mine. You need to understand this, that the quality of your conversations will be determined by the quality of your questions. The quality of the conversations you have with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, with your colleagues at your work tomorrow will be determined by the quality of questions you ask. And when you start to ask good, deep, meaningful, piercing questions to the people in your life, and you listen to those answers, it will improve the quality of your conversation, but more importantly, it will make you more like Jesus. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna give you five different areas that you can learn to ask better questions that you can dive in with people, ask questions, and wrestle through hard things, listen to what they have to say, and grow to be more like Jesus. Like if we are going to be more like our Lord Jesus, we need to learn to ask questions like his. And here's five areas that I think we can do that. I'll give you a few questions to ask. They're not the only questions to ask, but it leads us down the right road. Number one, let me speak to those of you who are married and talk about questions for your spouse. Now I know we could do whole books or teaching series or conferences or seminars on communication and marriage. But here's what we need to understand. The great danger for those of you that have been married a long time, the great danger if you've been married for a long, long time, is you stop asking questions of your spouse and you start to assume you know what they're thinking and feeling because you've been with them so long. And once you get to that place that you stop asking questions, you stop digging deeper, you stop exploring what they think and they feel and how they see the world, 
your marriage has gotten into a dangerous spot. When you start assuming you know someone because you've always known them. What do we want to do with our spouse? We want to ask questions that get to the root of things. And we want to listen to the answers. Questions like this. How did that make you feel? Like if you're anything like me, you just want to know the facts. What did you do today? Who did you talk to? What went on? How did that go? But the real depth of meaning doesn't come from their calendar. You could read that on their calendar. The depth of meaning comes from you understanding how they experienced it, felt about it. When we dig beneath the thing we assume we know about. Questions like, how can I serve you this next week? It's Sunday here. We're entering into a new week. Perhaps some of you could ask your spouse that this week or or today, this afternoon, this evening. How can I serve you this week? And if somehow you think service is beneath you or serve is not a word we want to use in marriage, I think you've missed the whole point. Marriages exist so we can serve and love and lay down our lives sacrificially for one another. You might just be surprised as you listen to your spouse how simple it would be to serve them and help them this week. And then this final question. This final question um, is a great question to ask after a fight, a tension, an issue in your marriage. Now, I'm just going to assume for this room, um, there's never been a fight in your marriage, never been a tension. You, like me, have had a perfect, flawless marriage where nothing's ever gone wrong. But just hypothetically, in case someday you have a fight, a tension, some issue, and you're you're resolving it, you're working through that issue, here's a wonderful question to ask at the end. What can I do to make things better? Not just like, how do you feel or what do you argue, but how can I make things better between us? Again, these questions, when we ask them and we listen to the answers to those questions, we'll start to determine the quality of our conversations and ultimately the quality of our marriage as we listen and become more like Jesus. Talk to your spouse. Ask those questions. Learn to listen to your spouse. Let me give you another area to think about, and that's questions for your children. Again, with children, it's so easy because we've known them since literally when they were born. And so we think we know them better than they know themselves, and sometimes we actually do. But what we want to learn to do is ask questions of our children and listen for the answers, dialogue, and find out what's important to their little hearts, whether they're young like my kids or whether they're grown like some of your kids. One of the questions I always got asked, and maybe you did at the dinner table growing up, was how was your day, honey? You went to school, you went to practice, there's a million things, you're not even sure how to answer that question. I had a mentor, a professor in college who always asked his kid a different question. What did you notice today? What was interesting or different? What scared you? What made you excited or delighted or filled with wonder? What did you notice today? It's a different kind of question. When we listen to that answer, we can start to know the hearts of our children. Questions like this, what are 26 things you're grateful for? Why 26 things? Because there are 26 letters in the alphabet, okay? And, and, and here's what my mother-in-law would do to, to, to her kids growing up. She would make them play the grateful game. Or she would go, A, what's something you're grateful for? B, what's something you're grateful for? They'd have to go through the whole thing. And what did she learn? She started to learn what was important to them. It started off as a joke, and then it became something that really started showing, here's what matters to me. And then I'll give you a final question to ask your kids at some point here. Was there anything you weren't sure about in the sermon today? Now, as a preacher, I'd like to believe the answer is always no, Right? There's never anything you're uncertain of of what I said. It was all clear, true, accurate, and good. And as a parent, you'd like to believe the same thing, right? That there's nothing your kid doesn't believe that you believe. There's, you guys are on the same page about everything. But here's what I know. And parents, here's what you know. There are certainly things that your child is questioning, doubting, unsure about. And one of the things we want to do after a message, a sermon, a Sunday school, after anything, is to ask them what they think about it and hold space for their questions, for their doubts, for their insecurity about faith. 
to ask the question, to listen, and then to not try to fix it right away, but rather give them space to just breathe and think about their doubts. To not try to jump in right away and fix any doctrinal error we think our kids have, but rather to allow space for it so they feel like they can bring this up in conversation. What do we want to do with our kids? We want to create that space for them to share what's actually on their heart and mind. And then we want to listen deeply to understand their hearts. Let me bring you to a different area. Let's talk about small groups. I've been in a small group since I was in middle school, and I've been in wonderful small groups. I've been in okay small groups. Right now, I'm in a fantastic group with a number of couples here at this church. And here's what I've learned. That oftentimes within the course of the group, what makes a great group versus an okay group is the quality of the questions. Again, the quality of our conversations will be determined by the quality of questions. And I'm not even talking about the questions of the curriculum of what you're studying this week. I just mean the type of questions that set the scene for the conversation. Too often what will happen in small groups is you just kind of get into how was your week and so you talk about sports or the kids or work. And those are good things to talk about. I'm not saying don't ask that. I'm just saying we can start to dig into deeper questions. And when we listen to one another in group, we can start to really experience the growth that is meant to happen in small group. A few of the questions I love to ask, like, what is God teaching you this week? So it's not just what happened this week, but where did you see God in the midst of all of those things? Questions like this, how have you grown to be more like Jesus in the last 10 years? Where you widen the scope from what happened this week to what is God doing over the course of a decade in your life? And then my personal favorite question, especially when I don't know a group of people, I love to ask this, especially when it's a group of students or a group of people in a faith context, I'll ask the question, on a scale of one to 10, how's your relationship with God? But then I throw this in, you're not allowed to choose seven. Because seven's a cop-out. Everyone picks seven. It's like seven's safe. Seven's like, oh, not great, not bad. But when I say you can't choose seven, the stakes go way up. That's just me. Anyway, what do we want to do? In small group, we want to ask good questions of each other. We want to listen to those answers. We don't want to just be processing what we want to say. We want to ask good questions and listen to their answers. Let me give you another set of questions. Here's questions to ask after a sermon. Now, I want to confess something to you, and I think you all would resonate with this as well. The temptation after a sermon, when you're leaving, getting in the car, going to lunch, is to assess and evaluate the preacher, right? So, so we say things like, ah, that was not Brian's best today, just not his best. Or we go, oh, he was on fire today. That was awesome. 10 out of 10. And so we're just like evaluating and assessing the preacher. It's like so many of you roll into church, almost like the judges in the Olympics, and you have little cards and you're holding them up, right? Actually, I walked out after the last service. I was standing out front. Someone walked out, and on a piece of paper, they wrote seven and just held it up and walked by. It was awesome. Oh, so good. That's what we do. We assess, we evaluate. But here's what we know. We don't come to church to assess the performance of the preacher. We come to church because we want to hear from and experience God. So what are the better questions to ask rather than just how good did the preacher do today? Questions like this. What did the Holy Spirit want me to hear today? Because I believe this. The Holy Spirit wants each and every one of us, the hundreds of people in this room, the thousands of people who will listen this weekend, to hear something specific for us. What did the Holy Spirit want me to hear? What do I need to do in response to this teaching? Saying a teaching was great is one thing. Doing something in response to it is better. That's what we're called to do. And then finally, I love to ask this question. Is this a message for me or a message God wants to use through me? Like in other words, sometimes God brings us to church because he wants a message for our heart and for our season. But sometimes the word is meant to come into us so that it can go through us to another person, a family member, a friend, someone who's struggling, who we can minister to 
because of what we receive during church. Again, when we leave church, the goal is not just to assess and evaluate how well things went or didn't. It's to ask good questions. And when we ask good questions, we'll have better conversations. We'll be able to listen to what our spouse, our friends, the people in our group are saying. And then final set of questions is questions for people you disagree with. People you disagree with politically or philosophically or spiritually. People you disagree with on big matters and on small matters. We want to ask questions like this in our culture. Can you help me understand why you think that? Like we all understand our culture has completely lost the ability to talk to people we disagree with in civil and healthy ways. Questions like, can you help me understand why you believe that? Because you clearly do, and I'm not sure why. Could you help me understand? It gives the person an opportunity to explain without feeling attacked. Questions like, am I articulating your position accurately? Do you recognize how often we articulate the position of people we disagree with very poorly? You ever seen on cable news, which I hope we're all watching a little less of, but you ever seen like a, a politician get up there and say, well, my opponent over there wants everyone in the world to die, and I don't, so vote for me. And you're just going, like, okay, I, I may disagree with your opponent, I may agree, I mean, he certainly doesn't want everyone to die. Like, that, that's not the way it is. So what do we want to do? When we disagree with someone, spiritually, politically, on anything in life, we want to be able to articulate the, their position the way they would, and then we go on to critique it. We want to articulate their position accurately rather than attacking a straw man that doesn't actually exist. And then finally, what do you think people like me misunderstand about your position? I love to ask this question to people who believe different things than me about God. To someone who believes a different faith or believes a different way of thinking about God, hey, what do you think I misunderstand about you? Because clearly we don't see it and people critique you and I want to understand why. These are the types of questions we can ask even without changing our beliefs. See, one of the things I want to make you aware of is a phrase that some of us say from time to time. And if you ever find yourself saying the phrase that I'm about to say out loud, I want you to notice and I want you to be aware that you are saying this because you have not taken the time to listen well to someone. It's a phrase I'm trying to remove from my vocabulary and I would recommend the same to you. Here's the phrase. I just don't understand how anyone could blank. Anytime I find myself saying, I just don't understand how anyone could blank, it's a sure sign that I am not listening. I don't understand how anyone could vote for Biden. I don't understand how anyone could vote for Trump. I don't understand how anyone could support this idea or this movement. I don't understand how anyone could believe in that theology. I don't understand how anyone could listen to country music or watch that television show or enjoy Pepsi more than Coke. I don't understand. Anytime I articulate that sentence, that I don't understand how anyone could blank the person who needs an education is me. It's me. It means I have not listened closely to the people in this world who believe something different than me and the people who really believe this have an ability to articulate that to me. They can teach me. And so what do I want to do? I want to ask questions. I want to be the type of individual who asks questions rather than declaring that I just can't understand how anyone would believe this. Listen, the follower of Jesus the follower of Jesus learns to listen to other people through asking questions, through asking questions, listening to the answer, because the quality of your questions will determine the quality of your conversations. I want you to see how the text goes on this way. It says this, about Jesus of Nazareth, that's what they're discussing, it says. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they were cruci then they crucified him. 
We had hoped he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning and they didn't find the body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. We began in the first half of this sermon to talk about what it means to listen to other people and to listen well. That it is a spiritual practice to listen to your spouse, to listen to your children, to listen to your boss, to listen to those who work for you. To listen to your friends when you stand out in the lobby today, when you go out to lunch today, to listen well. It's a spiritual practice that makes us more like Jesus. But I must tell you the other part of this, and this is learning to listen to God himself. It is being the type of follower of Jesus, man or woman of faith, who learns to listen to God. I want us to understand on this side this, that the disciple of Jesus learns to listen to God through scripture and the Holy Spirit. This is what we see modeled here. The presence of Jesus is he's explaining to them what is going on. He's helping them understand, and he's doing it, it says, through Moses and the prophets. He's doing it through the Old Testament scriptures. This is how we listen to God. We listen to God in these two ways. I want all of us here at Calvary to be a people who commit to listening to God through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. Like, let me put it to you this way, that we listen to the Bible. We listen to the Bible for God's general will for the world. The Bible is going to tell us what God wants from our lives, about who he is, how he wants us to see the world and see ourselves and see him. The Bible is the authoritative revelation of God for his people and his will for the world. When we look to the Bible, we find out what God sounds like. That's why anytime someone says, I'm not hearing from God, I can't hear his voice, I need a word from God on this situation, my first question is always, if you want a word from God, are you reading the word of God? Because if you don't read the word of God, you won't know what God sounds like. You won't know what God has to say. When you read the word of God, you understand his nature and his character and what types of things the Holy Spirit might speak to your life. I want us to understand that when it comes to God's word, his word in the Bible is authoritative. And nothing the Holy Spirit speaks to you will ever contradict what God has to say in his scriptures. Listen, we listen to God's word. We listen to the Bible for God's general will for the world. But then I want to get more specific. We listen to the Holy Spirit for God's specific will for our lives, for our situation. What do I mean by that? Um, I I think one of the great dangers um, for a church like ours, where where we talk about the Bible and we love the Bible, and listen, I'm a Bible person to my core. I love the Bible. I teach the Bible. I want all of us to read and know and love the Bible. But the great danger is that we actually start to turn it into a trinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Bible, right? Right? where the Bible just kind of replaces the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. And here's what we need to know. The Bible is a great gift from God, but it is not our God. We believe that there is a Holy Spirit who takes the general revelation and will that God gives through the scriptures and applies it to our lives. So let me give you some examples. The Bible is going to tell you all about marriage and how to be married and how to operate in the marriage context. You know that the Bible never tells you who you should marry? There's never a footnote that says, by the way, marry her. You know, that doesn't happen. The Bible's gonna tell you to give generously, but it never tells you how much to give on this Sunday, in this October Sunday. It never says, give $100 on October. It doesn't say that specifically. The Holy Spirit's gonna do that. 
Like the Bible says that all of us should use our spiritual gift and serve to build up the body of Christ. But it's never going to have a little note for you that says middle school ministry, right? What does this happen? The Bible is giving God's general will for our lives, but the Holy Spirit is the one who's being specific with us. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going, listen, you keep hearing about you're supposed to serve, serve in middle school, serve in high school, serve in our fresh market, serve in this ministry. The Holy Spirit of God gives us the specific will of God in our lives. And child of God, you know one of the greatest blessings and gifts you've ever received? The great blessing of the gospel is that because of the finished work of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit lives inside of your bones. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. And you can get to know the Holy Spirit. You can listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. The Holy Spirit is not some sort of force or energy that's out there. It is a being that lives inside of you. One of the things I see in so many Christians is this kind of loose theology around the Holy Spirit where we just kind of miss what the Holy Spirit is described as in the Bible. I think maybe Star Wars actually threw off an entire generation for us because Star Wars talks about the force this energy field around us that we can tap into and control. And a lot of people see the Holy Spirit this way, this kind of mysterious thing out there that we can kind of try to control, but the Holy Spirit is not described as that. It is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I want to make it clear this morning that the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. It is a person who has direction and intention and purposes in your life. The Holy Spirit is not some sort of power you tap into nebulously out there. It is God's presence living in you and you can get to know God. You can get to know the Holy Spirit through his dwelling presence in your heart and in your life. And this is a great blessing for the child of God. I want you to know that I believe the Holy Spirit of God wants to speak to every single believer. I don't assume everyone listening to my voice or in this room right now is a believer. But if you know Jesus and you've been born again, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. And you can hear the Holy Spirit of God speak. I know this is true in my life. I want to be clear. I have never heard the audible voice of God. I know some believers who say they have, and I have no reason to doubt them. I just know in my own life, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I have heard the Holy Spirit speak to me with clear, distinct, supernatural impressions on my heart where I just know that God is leading me in a direction. Like even in the last couple of months, here's some examples. Like I know that God has told me at times, you need to send an encouraging text message to this person. This person needs some encouragement. Send them, bless them. It's a person I haven't thought of in months. And yet here I go. I'm just going to listen to the Holy Spirit and do that. Sometimes I'm walking into a meeting and I'm not sure how to handle a situation or, or a person or some brokenness that we're walking into. And I just sense the Holy Spirit giving me some direction on that. There have been times I've had a rough day or a rough week, and I just said it's the Holy Spirit bringing me encouragement, saying I'm with you, and I love you, and you're my child, and this doesn't change your relationship with me. One of the most recent things that I've learned, just a habit and a practice in my life that's blessed me so much with the Spirit, is I'll do this prayer, and I picked this up from someone else, where you know, you breathe in in the morning. And as you breathe in, you just ask the Lord to give you the name of someone to pray for. God, just give me someone to pray for. And as you breathe in, the Holy Spirit just gives you that name. And then as you breathe out, you just go, Lord, all right, I pray for Connor. All right, Lord, I pray for Lydia, right? You're just praying for people. And some of those names that have popped into my mind, I haven't talked to in months or years, but I just sense that God wants me to pray for them. What's my point? It's that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And the Holy Spirit has something to say. Yes, the Bible is going to reveal God's will for this world, but the Holy Spirit will drive it specifically into your life and into your story. And for some of you, you know exactly what that's like. 
But for others of you, you've just never experienced that. You don't know what that's like. And this morning, I've already said one of the reasons I think that may be the case. If you're not regularly, faithfully reading the word of God, you won't know what God sounds like. And you won't know what the Holy Spirit is saying because you won't recognize his voice. But then here, there's, I think, a second reason. that You don't hear the Holy Spirit of God speak. I want to suggest this to some of you. I think if you're anything like me, here's a great struggle in my life. I always want there to be something going on in my ears. Like, if you're anything like me, you wake up in the morning and you want music on or you want the radio on or you want the TV on. You get into your car and music is playing or podcasts are playing. You get into the office or wherever you're going and people are talking and your entire day is filled with noise. And I think I'm describing some of you who know you always want something playing in the background. And I want you to understand this, that it is hard. It is hard to hear the Spirit speak if you are never silent. If you never have time where you just sit in silence before God, if you never have a moment driving your car where you turn everything off and you just allow the silence to be there. When we don't sit in silence, we force all of our ability to listen to the Spirit out of our lives. I want to encourage us to be a people who sit in silence, who hold space for silence in the midst of a digital and modern culture that insists music and podcasts and radio and TV should always be pumping into your ears. Cultural commentator Andrew Sullivan puts it this way. He says, in so modernity, slowly weakened spirituality by design and accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. Then listen to these words. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure and be reborn. Can I suggest to you that the greatest threat to your faith and to the faith of the next generation isn't secularism, it's not atheism, it's not the modern culture. Perhaps the greatest threat is the fact that we will not be silent enough to listen to what God has to say. May that not be true of my life. May it not be true of yours. May it not be true of your family. May it not be true of our church. May we push back against the tide that says we constantly have to be listening and hearing something so that we give space for God to speak. The story wraps up this way in verse 28. It says, they approached the village to which they were going and Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went and he stayed with them. Verse 30. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and, disappeared, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. What happens all throughout the story we saw today? They're walking with Jesus for seven miles. You got to imagine at a pretty slow moseying pace down this road with some breaks. This is several hours with Jesus. He's asking questions. They're responding. They're asking questions. They're dialoguing. They're listening. And then Jesus walks them through the scriptures and they allow themselves to hear the voice of God. They listen. And because they listen, what do we see in verse 32? It says, we're not our hearts burning within us. In other words, there's this passion, this energy, this excitement for what God is doing in their lives. And in verse 34, it says that it's true, the Lord is risen. They are boldly proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did we say at the very beginning? We see this now, that spiritual breakthrough often comes through listening. Listening to each other, listening to God. And I'll submit to everyone this morning that spiritual breakthrough is available for you if you're willing to listen to others 
and listen to God. Like, hear me, I, I don't know what the last 18 months has looked like in your life and in your soul and in your faith. Perhaps you've just been closer to God than ever before and praise God for that. But for some of you, maybe even most of you, the last 18 months has been a jumbled mess in your heart and your mind and your soul, your faith. Everything's felt convoluted and messy and it's been so intense that it's been hard for you to see God clearly. And I wanna to suggest to you that the breakthrough from that might come from you starting to listen to the people around you and listening to the God who speaks and has something to say. I wanna invite you toward that this morning with four practical next steps, four simple things that you can do and put into practice to experience that breakthrough that comes through listening. Here's the first one. Number one, would you go apologize to someone for not listening well and ask forgiveness? Like here's what I dream of. I think some of you need to text your spouse, talk to your spouse, have a conversation with your spouse today and apologize for not listening well. Some of you need to talk to your kids and apologize for not listening to what they have to say well, your colleagues. Some of you at work tomorrow need to talk to your boss or someone who works for you and say that you haven't been listening well. Own that and repent of that. Listening well begins with acknowledging the places we haven't done it well. Number two, maybe you would ask a few questions from today's sermon. Those will all be online on the site where we've been hosting all the resources from the sermon. Maybe one stuck out to you and is just rolling around your brain right now. Ask that question of your spouse, of your friends, of your colleagues, and your small group with someone you know who disagrees with you. Ask them that question. Learn the spiritual practice of listening well to others. Number three, as we think about what it means to listen to God, set a timer for 120 seconds and spend it in absolute silence. Do this tonight. Do this first thing tomorrow morning. Give yourselves two minutes to listen to God. If you have never done two minutes in absolute silence, you'll be stunned with how long it feels. This morning, I, I tried to do this practice uh, on my own before my kids were awake. I was sitting downstairs in my office. I set a two-minute timer and really was enjoying the time. And then the timer went off and it terrified me. But it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. 120 seconds in silence. And you know what your prayer should be before you hit start on that timer? The prayer we see all over the scriptures. Lord, speak for your servant is listening. You put this into practice over the next week and the next month, I believe the Holy Spirit of God will begin to speak to you. And then finally, I wanna recommend a book, this book called How to Listen to God by Charles Stanley. For some of you who wanna dive deeper into this, you have questions, you wanna read a book, I think this is a simple, practical, but profound help for you that'll be a blessing to you. I'll answer questions some of you are asking, like how do I know it's God's voice and not just my own opinions? How do I know it's the Holy Spirit of God and not a bad pizza from last night? Like how do I know all this? And I think this book will be a helpful blessing to you. You can find all of these resources we're talking about today on calvarywestlake.org slash walk. You can find all the resources from this series of these spiritual practices that help us live and love like Jesus. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a moment where you're standing inside of your house and the TV is on and your kids are running around or there's music playing and there's chaos and there's noise everywhere. And then suddenly your phone starts to ring and you pull out your phone and you recognize it's your doctor. And you remember that your doctor said, I'll send you an email if everything's good, but I'm gonna call you if there's a problem. And suddenly your doctor's calling you. What are you and I gonna do in this moment? All of us know. We're gonna mute the television. We're gonna shush the kids. If we need to, we're actually gonna walk outside and listen to that call. Why? Because every single word that is being spoken matters. And to miss a single word would be a damaging thing in our life. To miss anything at all would be a terrible miss for us to not hear what was being said. Child of God, may you treat every conversation that way. 
where you dial into what the person in front of you is saying, where you listen to their heart, where you understand what your spouse is trying to say, what your kids are trying to say, what your small group and your friends and your colleagues are trying to say. And child of God, may you create that kind of space for God, knowing that his words are life themselves. May we learn to be a church that picks up the spiritual practice of listening. And may God, in his graciousness, give us breakthrough for it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And God, one final time this weekend, I want to stand here and pray and confess that I have not always listened well to people. Not listened well to my spouse or my kids or my family, to the people I work with, to the people I call friends. God, help me to be a better listener. Help me to be someone who develops this practice of listening closely, of asking better questions, and hearing what people actually have to say. God, I also want to confess the times in my life I've not given you space that I've been so obsessed with listening to music or podcasts or something in my ears and I've not actually just given you the space of silence. And God, I just want to recognize that and repent of that and say, God, would you allow me to hold space in my life for you to speak? God, for anyone in this room or online right now who needs to confess those same things, God, I pray you would hear their prayers, hear their confession, and allow them to develop the spiritual practice of listening. God, help us to be a church that hears each other well and hears you in every moment. We pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.